Welcome to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez, the podcast that offers practical advice and tips on how to run and grow your small business. The How of Business helps aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners achieve their definition of success and overcome challenges that get in their way. This podcast series focuses on the everyday common business issues, challenges, and opportunities that face the small business owner. So here now are your hosts of The How of Business, David and Henry. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Ann Dickinson, and welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Henry. It's a pleasure being here. We're glad to have you. Uh, Ann is a consultant, a speaker, and an action taker. She is a specialist in helping small business owners manage their cash flow and optimize their profits. Uh, She uses her Profit Leaks X-ray vision to help overwhelmed business owners take back control of their business finances stop money from falling through the cracks and make the right moves that result in more money, more time, and more freedom, which is of course what all of us want as business owners. Uh, Anne's skills in finance, operations, and management, uh, those were all developed during a long career rather in a variety of corporate roles. She has an MBA from Babson College, has worked in the defense and high tech industries, has packaged and sold assets, dissected and improved operations, set up treasury departments, and on top of all that, she's owned successful entrepreneurial ventures. Now, these days, small business owners and business leaders seek her out for her professional expertise to improve cash flow, profits, and operations. So in this episode, she is going to share with us uh, her entrepreneurial journey, uh, valuable insights to help us manage our cash flow, and to optimize profits. I left out that she's currently the president and owner of Eye on Your Business. That's her current business venture. It's a consulting business that she founded in 2009. Uh, Anne lives in the Boston area. And so once again, Anne Dickinson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's it's great to be here. Really appreciate it. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. Thanks for making the time. And and so where I'd like to start, Anne, if it works for you, is at the beginning here, going back to school, Kalamazoo College, I believe. You studied economics and an art minor and then went on to Babson to tell us a little bit about that and that experience and what you were thinking you would do back then. Uh, so I went to Kalamazoo College, um, didn't really have a major in mind when I started. And by the time I was a junior, had traveled through a bunch of different subject matters and had every intention of becoming a math major when all was said and done. Until I got into a course called topology, which is the study of proofs, and I found myself thinking in the first week, these proofs have all been proved before, why do I have to do it? And at the same time, I was taking an economics course, and uh, it's my experience that people either love or hate economics, and it's either either easier or completely mind-boggling to them. It made sense to me. And so I dropped the math major in in, uh, in favor of economics and also happened to take a bunch of art courses, uh, pottery in particular. Okay. Uh, Which later comes into play. But So why do you think economics clicked for you? To me, it's very logical. Uh, it It's... Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. There's a lot of logic behind it. It, it makes sense to me. Um, 
And that, that approach, that logical approach, do you find yourself applying it to business now and the way you think about a business problem? All the time. What, what about the art influence? Because I'm always, always, so, always curious about the influence of the creative process and being in touch with creativity and how that applies to business. Do you see any of that overlapping? Uh, I do. I, I believe it applies in the area of just sort of, it, it, not sort of, but in, in thinking um, more openly about possibilities and ways to do things, potential ways to do things, mm. solve problems. Uh, you know, as the saying goes, there's more than one way to skin a cat. And uh, it helps to be able to figure out a bunch of the different ways and then apply whichever one seems to work best for the business at hand. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Okay, and then the, the MBA, did that come later or right after college? Uh, the MBA came later as I was in my corporate career and I um, allowed others to pay for it. Yeah, that makes sense. So speaking of, then you went into that corporate career. Is that what you saw yourself doing is working in a corporation, working your way up the corporate ladder or were there entrepreneurial thoughts then? Tell me about that. Uh, I think when I was done with college, I really thought that I would end up probably mostly in a corporate career. That said, uh, I had in the third grade actually had my first entrepreneurial venture because I baked and sold cookies door to door to earn money for my first bicycle. Mm -hmm. So uh, there was some introduction of it early on. Uh, but yes, I, I anticipated being really in a corporate setting. What I found for me and I rose, you know, reasonably quickly and, and had a lot of different experiences. What I found for me was that I would get into a job, I'd figure it out, and then I'd get bored. And that doesn't make for a great corporate employee, oftentimes. Um, and so entrepreneurial uh, fun and adventure suits me better. And that's, that's obviously your personality. I mean, you, you've summited uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. You've ballooned over the Serengeti. You've spent time in Siberia. You've finished nine marathons or so. So obviously that shows me that you're somebody who's always looking for the next adventure, right? It, that that could not be truer. <clears throat> yes, indeed. Got to have some fun. Yeah. And I find that, that that's also often a common thread with entrepreneurs is that we, we do something, we do it well, and then we're ready to move on to the next challenge. And that's partly why then, like you said, being in a corporate world, that just doesn't work. Right. I think that that's true. Uh, and it's, you know, sure, there are challenges in the corporate world, but they didn't seem for me anyway to be, um, I guess, enough. Right. I, I, I remember thinking when my career started, I always thought work would be hard. And it wasn't hard. And so there wasn't enough stimulus to, to keep me um, occupied, I guess. And now, clearly, there is yeah. more than enough. So. And, and what happens there in the corporate world is when we get bored, when we're ready for that new challenge, our boss may not be ready to give us something new. Our, Precisely. Where we Absolutely. work may not be ready to give us something new, so we right. have to trudge along. Right, and therein lies the rub. <laughs> so when did it come to a, a head then for you? When did you realize I need to get out and do my own thing? 
Well, I went through um, a, a, a not, quite a few years. I was in corporate for over 15 years. And then I actually did take a job with a small consulting firm that did um, basically bank workouts. Uh, we would go into companies that were behind on their loans and we were brought in by the banks to uh, A, get as much money out of them as possible and find as much cash. And that was done through analyzing the operations and really getting into the, the nitty gritty details of it, either selling off assets and or preparing the business for sale. And so it was a it was terrific experience. Um from the standpoint of really understanding how companies work. It also was in many ways not fun because every company that we were in was on the skids. So nobody in the company was happy. Yeah, very negative environments. Exactly. Uh, and after that, I said, okay, well, about that time, um, it was also 100% travel and that um, tends to wear on you. So uh, at some point I said, okay, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm taking a break. Uh, and I <laughs> sort of exited stage left, ended up going back to school full time for two years in pottery, which is what I had studied in school. And following that, opened my own pottery studio with, with a fellow potter, two of us opened it. And the process of putting together that business plan and getting the funding for it was, for me, a ton of fun. It was, it was so fun thinking through all of the different pieces and what had to happen and when it had to happen and where it had to happen and who had to do it and what it would cost. Um, and we opened the studio and it was profitable in 18 months and debt-free in five years, uh, which for a, an artist studio is pretty – Pretty darn good. Oh, yeah, quite the accomplishment. And so when you opened it, did you quit your job right away or was there a transition period? I had been I had quit before because I went to school full time for two years. I see. So um, I apologize for my assistant in the background. Yeah, if you who, heard who, a bark. who is that in the background? <laughs> that is that is my assistant, Bella, who Got occasionally it. chimes in. So my <laughs> she, apologies. Had, she had an opinion there on the pottery studio. <laughs> she, she did. Um and I was with the, the studio for about six years uh, and in the end realized that my own work, I was a, I was a mediocre potter. I wasn't great. I wasn't horrible. Um, but my work wasn't selling enough, wasn't selling as much as I needed it to be. And the studio was small enough that it wasn't a, a sustainable business model for two people to put food on the table. Yeah. Uh, and so I left and at that point it was, okay, what am I going to do now? New opportunity. And that's when I opened, uh, what is now I on your business, um, to help business owners. And I have not never looked back. Yeah. So what, what was the focus of I on your business initially? What were you doing? What are the services you were offering when you started? Ooh, good question. <laughs> It was it was partly what I'm doing now. It was also um, a little more on the sort of kind of bookkeeping side mm. for um, more for individuals looking at the uh, aging population. 
because it's a growing population and, and I um, am the offspring of aging parents. And what I realized was, A, it really wasn't something I liked that much, and B, they really didn't want to pay. Hmm, interesting. Uh, but it was a niche that you identified early on that you first got it was. started with. Okay. It was. And and also I had in mind um, working with with business owners. And as that sort of started to grow, I realized, no, that's A, it's my strong suit. Um, and B, it's just so much more fun. Yeah. And so I got to think that a lot of this came about. And because, like you said, when you were starting the pottery business, you enjoyed the process so much. And that's not a common thing. I know for me, speaking for myself, my initial businesses were very stressful in part because I didn't know what I was doing, but secondly, you know, the whole fear of it and the stress of it. But it right. seems like you really. Uh, I'm not really saying that was there. Okay, all right, fair enough. I'm just saying it was still fun. Yeah, and then you realize, yeah, I'm pretty good at putting something like this together, and I can help others do the same. Right, and I can explain it in a way that people seem to understand. Yeah, which is key. Right. All right, so let's get into that. One of the areas, obviously, as I mentioned at the outset that you focus on with your clients on is on identifying these profit leaks and how to stop them. In fact, you have a, a formula, I believe, that's uh, the profit, L-E-A-K-S, leaks formula. Can you introduce that and tell us what that's about at a high level? Sure. Um, so that's essentially what I've identified after working with so many clients is that uh, we really go through the same process every time, whether whether we, you know, regardless of sort of, of how far along the path they are, at some point we hit all of these steps. And so L is for look at where you are now, and and get a marker on what is going on currently. Are you keeping your books current and accurate? And and do you understand what what the books are and uh, what you need to look at? E is examine your cost structure, uh, and that's kind of self-explanatory and yet uh, desperately needed in every business. A is actually start making money, uh, which is getting into the concept of break-even and the pieces of break-even that you have control over, and if you adjust them, what that will do to how soon you start making money. Um, the K is know how to find and fix profit leaks, and that's around uh, really the thought process, um, thinking and looking at things differently and seeing if there are different ways uh, you can do it. One, one thing I always tell my clients is try to think of ways that you can deliver the same uh, quality of product or service at a lower cost to you. Uh, and that's... I'm, I'm sorry. And that, so that could mean a, lots of different things. It could mean I might outsource, I might uh, change my suppliers, I might repackage, right. I might do any of those types of things. Absolutely. As long as the result is the same or better that, that, I, that I'm giving my client or customer now. As long as the, the experience for the, for the customer is equivalent or better. Right. It may mean, as an example that I use that, that I um, worked through was limousine company who was always using uh, Lincoln Town cars, mm. but uh, replacing them with Toyota Avalons 
provided them an ability to save over 15 grand a year per vehicle. And yet the experience was no different. It was a mindset thing. It was, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's a town, if it's a, uh, a ride in a sedan, it's gotta be a town car. Well, yeah, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so to, to finish up the S is, so now what, and that's looking at and determining what are the best, um, let's call them pieces of a dashboard for your business that will help you run the business that you can, you know, build a muscle of review and, and, um, and monitoring so that when things sort of squirt out, uh, you can, you know, where to start asking the questions. Yeah. You know what to look for now on an ongoing basis. Precisely. Yeah. So it's a very comprehensive formula. If we go back to the first letter, look, I, I have to believe you probably find, but I'll ask you the question in a moment, as I find with a lot of my clients is that they don't even know what their numbers are. They just haven't been looking at the numbers. And I got to think that's a common thing you find as well, is it? It's it's regrettably um, all too common. And even worse than that is our, our business owners who don't even keep the books. Yeah. So why uh, do you think that is, Anne? Why do you think people either get there or they just don't even do it from the outset? I think... Uh, in part, it's a, in some cases, it's a fear of the numbers. I don't understand them, and so I'm afraid of them, and so I'm not going to deal with them at all. Uh, it can be that it's completely not their strong suit, right? And, and in some respects, they shouldn't be dealing with them from the mechanics of it, but they need to understand them because it's their company. Uh and I, you know, I guess I was going to say there, there are multiple reasons, but I really, truly, the biggest reason that I find is they don't understand them. Yeah. They've never learned it. It's this overwhelming thing. So let me just forget about it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll give my receipts right. to the CPA at the end of the year and let them right. figure it out. And, and there's been money in the bank mm-hmm. pretty consistently. Exactly. I mean, usually they come to the, you know, they find me when something goes uh, some, there's some pain point that gets to be so much that they realize, eh, I gotta, I gotta do something. Yeah. The problem, the problem often is that by that point in time, it can be too late. But uh, the, the other thing I've also found, and I'm curious as to whether you found it, is that as with our personal finances, when we know the numbers are not great, we don't want to look at it. It's almost like we want to ignore it. Maybe it'll go away. Right. Uh, that, that's very true. And it, and it's the, um, the stronger leaders and business owners who say, you know what, I got to suck it up. That's right. And I, and I got to do something about this. And it's amazing how when you do that and you, and it's, it might take a heck of a lot of work because you don't have any of them in place, but you feel so much better because at least now you can wrap your arms around what the issue is, get some help, bring in someone like yourself and put together a plan to maybe recover. And in a lot of cases that is possible. Absolutely. It's, it's very, very much possible. Um, and or um, even as you're growing, you know, there, right, you can hit a, 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 a huge growth spurt and still run into similar issues. You know, when your sales are going up, 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 but the cash is not following, right, it's, it may even be decreasing and you're going, what in the blazes is going on? Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a lot of potential reasons for it and, and they're 
generally speaking, fixable. Yeah. And again, for those of you listening who are managing your business by checking what the balance, my cash balance is at the end of the <laughs> month, you're going to hit this wall eventually. Right, um, right. So tell me more about these deadly profit lease. Can you share a couple more examples of deadly profit <laughs> lease that you see regularly? You actually just mentioned one, uh, and that is uh, running your business from the bank balance mm. or from the specifically the online bank balance. You know, for for one thing, the the specifically the online bank balance is not current in real time. It's not accurate, right? Something's going to be off. So if you're writing checks, if you're looking at your online bank balance and saying, "All right, I got fifteen thousand in the bank." I can write checks for 10000 but somebody doesn't go and cash those checks. And you look again a few days later and say, great, I've got 15000 in the bank. I can write checks for 7000 and suddenly they both get cashed. You know, that's a problem. Yeah. Um, and so that's a potentially big one, which dovetails into keeping current and accurate books and, and running your business from the accounting software. Uh, it, um, uh, another one is uh, losing, con losing control of your accounts receivable. You know, that, that can tend to get people if they don't have, many either don't have a good process or they have no process in place for dealing with accounts receivable. Um, you know, it's the classic, well, I sent the invoice, so therefore they're going to pay. Well, hopefully. Um, it, another one is, I think I mentioned earlier, when, in the situation where there's rising, uh, increasing sales but decreasing cash in the bank, and how can you get after what is underlying that? You know, is it a matter of, of poor pricing? Is it a matter of um, too high an overhead that the company can't sustain? Is it debt load? Is it what? What really is it? Mm -hmm. uh, let's see, how many have I hit? What am I missing? Let's think. Those are quite a few there. And while yeah. you're thinking, so definitely you touched on one that if you're trying to manage your finances by checking your cash balance, but you've got receivables or you have inventory, then you're going to crash because you're not doing cash management and cash forecasting then. Uh, so there's definitely the case. When it comes to accounts receivable, why, what have you found as to why people let that go? I mean, I have some ideas, but I'm curious as to what you see as to why it's amazing somehow and sometimes, which I'm sure you see as to how they let receivables go. Uh, well, the, the size companies I've been dealing with, and I'll give you a, a great example. Um, I had a client some years ago who was, uh, happened to be a, a contractor he plowed snow in the winter and he did it uh, on a per inch basis on a per storm basis and he also happened to do all of the in-house everything he did all the invoicing he did all the um, collections which was a whole nother issue that got solved but because he did everything he didn't do it in a timely way so first of all the invoices the storm would happen the invoices might not go out for a week, 10 days, two weeks or more. So he got himself into a situation where he's owed a bunch of money, but meanwhile, he's got uh, 
plow drivers who need to get paid. Yeah, and so he's already just by default extended his receivables ten plus days, ten ten days exactly. plus whatever you know it takes in the mail. So at least that much time he's already added to how long before he gets his money back. Exactly. And the other thing that that um, is one little trick that I have found to be very very help, helpful is so many uh, businesses put do on receipt on their invoices. Right. And you can argue, when did I receive it? Mm. If you get, when you get your credit card statement in the mail, that doesn't say due on receipt. No. There's a some certain date. And you uh, typically will say, oh, wait, okay, so it's due on the, the, I don't know, pick a date, 20th of December. You know that, uh, depending on how you're going to pay it, that thing's going to be paid by the 18th of December. But if you if it has due on receipt, you can let it slide forever. Yeah, it's a, it's a psychological thing, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And of course, uh, on the other side, the person who receives that invoice wants to delay as much as possible paying you. You bet. If they if they if they have their wits about them, that was another problem that he actually had was that. Once bills came in, he wanted to pay them right away. If he had money in the bank, he wanted to pay them right away. I see. Um, and that's not smart business. No, it's you just, need to take your terms so that you can then float that cash as long as possible. Right, right. Basically, you want to try and match the outgo with the ingo and the ingo, the incoming, and hopefully the incoming comes in slightly before. The outflow has to go. Yeah, otherwise that you need some bigger cash reserves otherwise. Right. So on right. this issue that he had specifically, continuing with his example of the uh, snow yes. plowing business, where he wasn't getting invoices out because he was doing it, what, what, he, what did you advise him to do to resolve that? Well, so what we did actually, he had about, in this case, it was about $70,000 outstanding wow. in receivables. And for him, that was that was a third of his annual revenue. So there were a ton of changes that were made. The first thing was uh, we basically put the pedal to the metal in four weeks and went dialing for dollars and got about half of it in. Uh, and then over time, a process was put in place in addition to a bookkeeper, but a process was put in place that said when the storm happens, invoices are cut within 48 hours of that, the end of that storm. And so that already shortened up a bunch of time. Uh, and other, from a cash flow standpoint, other things that were put in place were, uh, were that most of his accounts were commercial. And even if they were residential, uh, we instituted um, or offered uh, annual contracts, basically an insurance policy. Uh, if it snows, you know, so much will be covered. If it doesn't snow, you're going to pay us anyway because we're guaranteeing that we'll be there, right? Mm. Um, so that helped enormously with the cash flow uh, challenges that he had. Uh, but it was a lot around put in place the policies and procedures, figure out where the really where the leaks are, and he was one of the biggest ones. <laughs> I mean, he, he was doing a lot of backroom stuff, and his strong suits were sales and marketing. And so over time, in the time we worked together, his business more than doubled, um, and he actually started taking a regular salary instead of, of uh, owner, owner's draws. Um, and 
it was just, you know, his business really was transformed, which was fun to watch and oh, fun to deal with. I can imagine, yeah. A great example, and that this ties obviously to this overarching theme that I mentioned at the beginning, that you, you help people realize more money, more time, more freedom. So I want to dive a little bit more into that. We've touched on some, some of the back office stuff and the accounting stuff and uh, uh, shoring up your profits and cash flow. But you also talk about the role of operations, and we've touched on it here with this example. But tell me a little bit more about that and what you found and what do you mean by operation? Some of it is what we've talked about, but what else are we talking about here? Uh, we're talking really about operations within the, the context of the company. And, and maybe the best way to show that uh, is another example um, of, of uh, a client that I've worked with, which was an auto body shop. And they were, at the time we started working together, taking every project that came in the door uh, so they had 25 slots, working slots for each week, and they'd take the first 25. Well, without regard to how much those, uh, how much revenue they brought in, mm. right? So they had a, a weekly nut they had to, to cover, to cover payroll, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we looked at that and ended up basically tiering the slots so that instead of anything that came in the door would, would be taken, there were, say, eight slots made available for $500 jobs, $500 jobs and under. Another, I don't know, I'm going to screw up the math, but uh, a, another bunch of slots for $500 to $1,500. Another bunch for $1,500 to $3,000, then a few for $3,000 and over. And so they uh when the ninth call came would come in for the $500 and under job it would be slotted into the uh, the next week or it would be slotted uh, out further and the result of doing that was when we started working together they were about 1.8 million and within uh 11 months they were at 2.8 million yeah a, and that was a, a huge piece of it and that can be applied in so many different businesses, but you're talking about there where they have a constraint of how many jobs they can do in a day and in a week. Right. And, and they thought they were doing the right thing by taking it first come, first serve, but it was not maximizing their profitability. Right. It, 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 right. It wasn't maximizing their profitability, their productivity. And, and this is an outfit that's actually been around for decades. And, you know, to stay around for decades more, they had it. To, they had to change their tune. Yeah, so they so. can continue to serve their customers, serve them at a high level. So exactly yeah, now that person might have to wait a little bit, but they know they're coming to a reputable place where the job is done well, and and every piece of business is valued. But it's it's processed the right way, and that's a great example of changing operations to drive better profits. Right. We can so. apply that so many different ways. You know, it could be the product mix, which is this is what an example of that is, and making right. sure. And it goes. It's all, all of this does goes back to looking at your numbers because how do you know if this item on the shelf generates a better profit than this one, which might decide where you place it or eliminate it altogether or bring similar products or refocus your your stock. So all of those things come into play, but it all comes back from understanding and knowing your numbers. It does. I mean, looking looking at uh, the cost side of things, 
you know, you can look at an overall P&L and say, okay, well, they seem to have a decent margin. But if they're, if they're, if they're providing <clears throat> multiple products or services, it's entirely possible that, say, there are five services they're offering, that three of them are subsidizing the other two, and that, that a couple of them are actually not profitable. And so, you know, it's the, 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 my mission is to make sure that people are making informed decisions. And in, in, in order to make an informed decision, you have to be informed. Yeah. Great stuff. So another component, of course, then is where we're spending our money. We've touched on it a little bit, but you talk about these four powerful questions that you need to ask yourself before you spend money. Can you speak to some of those and introduce that concept? Sure. Uh, it's four quick questions that if you keep top of mind as you're considering uh, investing in whatever, uh, it can it, it can basically interrupt the, oh my God, I got to buy this thing um, process to get you to think and decide, you know, do I really need to? Or do I really need to now? So the four questions are, uh, does it directly contribute to revenue generation? Right? Example, is it a new shredder in an auto body shop or is it a, um, a uh, an alignment machine? Yeah, right? or, or is it a piece of equipment in the back office that doesn't impact the customer nor generate new revenue? Right. It may impact productivity and you have to determine if it's enough, right. but okay. So the second one is, does it have to happen now? You know, does the new alignment machine really have to happen now? Or is it because it's, it'd be nice to happen now. Yeah, to me, that's one of the most valuable budgeting questions you can ask yourself is, do we need this now? Can I push it off a week? Can I push it off a right. month? Right. Uh, the third question is, can the cost be reduced? And that's specifically around, you know, can I get this particular machine for $8,000 instead of $10,000? Can I find it used? Might I lease it? Right. You know, different right. options on how I might get that same thing at a lower cost. Right. And the fourth one is, is there another way to achieve the same result uh, at a lower cost, which is more around instead of machine A, you know, is there a different process I could use or a, uh, some combination of things um, that doesn't specifically mean I'm getting machine A, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, no, no, absolutely. I mean, it could even be, you know, why don't we look at machine B, which is not at 100% capacity. And by doing so, that'll give us the revenue that that way we don't have to spend on this capital item, right? Right. Uh, so there's different ways to look at that fourth question as well. Right. Yeah, these are great, insightful four questions. I think if people would ask themselves these four questions on a regular basis, they, they would end up so much better off from a managing their cash and investment. Um, I love that. Thank you. All right. Yeah. So give me if you would as we start to wrap it up your your 30 second elevator pitch on on your business we've touched on obviously a lot of the things that you've done and you've given us some great examples but i on your business does what for whom 
Uh, we work with action-taking leaders of small to medium-sized businesses, uh, as you said earlier, to help them get more money, more time, and more freedom by improving their profits, cash flow, and operations. Uh, and I'm, my primary interest is in uh, business owners who are eager to make a change. They recognize something has to happen, that something there's a pain point that they can't figure out. Um, they're open to a third, uh, third eye and an, an outside perspective. Uh, and they recognize that there's work involved. It's not, I've been through my share of and don't want any more of them. The clients who, you know, hire you and, and expect uh, overnight success. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, how come it's not done? Well, <laughs> again, you own the business. Um, so I, I tend to to be play a little bit more in the service industries, but not completely. Um, so uh, and and more of my business is is one to one consulting. Uh, I'm a, a, a future is a is a group um, training program. But at the moment, it's a future. Yeah, so. oh, wonderful. And so tell us about the, the free download, I believe, you're offering, which is sure. the, the Stop the Leaks. Uh, right. I have a, a, uh, an e-book, e e-report that's available um, that I would encourage everyone to, to download and take a look at. And it's called Stop the Profit Leaks and goes into more depth about the five profit leaks um, that I find to be the most common and that can be found at uh, www.ionyourbusiness, and that's E-Y-E, onyourbusiness.net forward slash ebook, e-report, ebook. Oh, my God. We'll, we'll find that. No worries. We'll have that <laughs> link in the show notes page, Anne. And it's a great resource, so I encourage everybody to download that. So we'll have a link directly to it on the show notes page. Thank you. And uh, people can find that at thehowofbusiness.com for this episode. All right, I have a question for you. What, what do you love most about what you do today? I love watching and observing business owners as they start to, you know, air quotes, get it, right? They, they, they really start to think and see how they can do things differently and um, and more effectively and become a much stronger leader of their company, a re the real CEO of their company. Um, that coupled with just, just me figuring out new companies, you know, they're all a new puzzle and it's really fun for me to, to learn about them. Yeah, that's great. Is there a, a book that you often recommend to business owners? Well, there's the classic, which is uh, E-Myth Revisited, um, that, is, that is always a good read. And there's another one I read recently that is, a, it's not, uh, it's, it's not quite bullseye business, but it's a, it's a fantastic book that is, um, can be applied to business. And that's called Essentialism. And it really talks about how to, to get your priorities in order um, and not spread yourself too thin. 
And have you heard of that book? No, I have not. But but I, I can, from what you're describing here briefly, I can see where it definitely does apply. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful book. Um, by McCowan, a Brit. I happen to listen to it, so he also has a really very pleasing ah. narration voice. And then was there a third one you were going to mention? No, just the okay. two. All right, great. So those are two great recommendations. The the E-Myth, of course, uh, people listening are probably chuckling because I, I talk about the E-Myth all the time on this uh. show and people recommend it. I think it's a must-read for any right. business owner. So we'll have links to those recommendations in the show notes page as well at the How of Business. So parting a uh, couple of last questions. What is your parting piece of advice, last thought for our listeners? The, the, the biggest thought is to think. Don't take anything necessarily at face value and, and keep looking for um, other ways to do things. Keep an open mind. Great advice. And where would you like our listeners to go online to find out more about you and I on your business? Uh, they can find me at www.ionyourbusiness.net. That's E-Y-E-O-N-Y-O-U-R-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S dot net, N-E-T. Fantastic. Thank you. We'll, we'll have a link to that as well. Uh, and this has been a, a great experience. I've learned quite a bit. Thanks for spending the time sharing your in-depth knowledge and being with us today. Thank you. It's been a complete pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's been it's been fun. Great. Same here. Thanks, Anne. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to The How of Business. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you're listening to us on Stitcher's, Stitcher or iTunes, rather, we would appreciate and welcome you subscribing to our show. And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business. Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by LevanteBusinessGroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening and go live your dream.